It's Amber Bradley, your host for the unscripted side of LP. It's Talk LP Podcast time. Okay, it's everyone's favorite time of the week, Talk LP Podcast time. Amber Bradley, I'm your host. Thanks for joining us. Special guest co-host with us today, Peter Che. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Amber. Thanks for allowing me to come back in and uh, co-host this time. Absolutely. So super cool, as everyone knows from your podcast, uh, VP over at Bloomingdale's, we have brought in for you to co-host with me, the CFO of Bloomingdale's, Scott Zatel. How are you, Scott? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to it today. Yeah, so I really know out of the gate, this is going to be one of our most popular because everyone is curious, and if they're not, there should be. What the CFO has to say. I mean, solution provider, VP of asset protection, all the way up and down the ladder. Really important to get your perspectives um, holistically. And so I'm going to jump right in to the hot seat question, which really is, okay, sitting in your role, um, CFO of a major, uh, iconic, really, uh, retailer, um, and has spent some time with Macy's, so you're really no stranger uh, to, to the role here. But if I'm a loss prevention director, vice president, and I, I'm like, man, I've got this project and I need some funds and it's going to be amazing and I got to go get it approved. From your perspective, what are the things that that person needs to come to you and say, here are the things buttoned up. What do you think? Yeah, so I, I think that's a great question. And, and really, from my perspective, what I always try to encourage, whether it's Peter and his team or really anyone that's, that, that works for me, is to think about as big picture as possible. So if there's a great idea within asset protection, maybe there's something that we're, that, you know, an idea that we have that is gonna improve our fraud detection or those types of things is, think about the downstream impact on the business and not just get pigeonholed into, this is a great fraud idea. You know, we've had ideas in the past where we, we certainly could reduce fraud, but it would have come at too high of an expense in terms of limiting legitimate top line sales and, and real transactions and all. So we wouldn't do those types of things. But when you look at something only from one perspective, you may miss that. You may miss the, the kind of the unintended consequences. So what I ask my team to do always is think about those other unintended consequences. Give it a one more go around, two more go rounds with your team and everything. Just kind of think about um, what am I maybe missing? Bring in people from other areas that um, could potentially be impacted by whatever this decision may be um, to get their perspective as well and try to have as well-rounded a presentation and, and thought process as you can before you even come to the senior leadership of, uh, of your organization, whatever organization that may be, not just Bloomingdale's, um, because you're going to get those questions. They're going to come up. So think about the questions that haven't even been asked yet and make sure you've, you've already answered those questions. And I think that that makes it that much more of an effective um, presentation, to be honest. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, um, and Peter, Peter, I'm sure can attest to this, you never want to be sales prevention, right? It's loss, loss prevention, not sales prevention, right? And Bloomingdale's, you guys have some big ticket item things with a patron, a consumer that is not used to saying, 
hey, Peter, can you get this unlocked for me? I really want to try this crocodile handbag, right? Yeah, no, exactly. And, and, and again, you know, I, I, I always kind of encourage my team, um, even on the finance side, to not think of things so much in terms of expense um, reductions and those types of things is our job is to maximize the business, maximize the top line, maximize the bottom line of the business. I would much rather, 99% of the time, I'd much rather be behind an idea where we're investing in an area of the business than I've got to pull back from this particular area. I've got to take out assets here, take out assets there. I don't like to do that at all. I want to be able to invest so that I can make the business even bigger. Um, and, uh, you know, I actually started, I started my career in loss prevention uh, many, many years ago. Uh, and actually, it was shortage control at Macy's is, is where I started. And, you know, just the ability to kind of see all different aspects of the business um, really kind of opened up my eyes to, you know, what's, what, uh, what some possibilities are. And uh, so even though I'm financed, um, I've got a little bit of loss prevention blood in me still. So I always, uh, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll uh, fall back on that, on that, uh, that history. It does come out sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Peter, how's that? That probably is nice because he, lo he knows the world you're living in, right? Yeah, I can't hide it anymore. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's good and bad, you know? It's, uh, <laughs> All right, Peter, over to you. Get you in All here. All right. Well, so I've got I've got one question that may be on everybody's minds, and that's really how have um, the events of 2020, as we all know, was an unprecedented year. You know, crisis uh, events all over the place, whether it's civil unrest, you know, obviously it's the pandemic, of course. Um, how has it changed your perspective uh, or understanding of the overall asset protection uh, and risk management function uh, for an organization? Sure. So, uh, look, how did it change my perspective? I'm, I'm sitting in my home right now versus uh, this. Yeah. I don't think I worked from home more than uh, three days in my career, you know? And uh, so, it, you know, it certainly made us think of all kinds of, all aspects of the business differently and, and how we do things um, in a remote environment and all. In terms of asset protection specifically, you know, it, it's, how do we still protect the business knowing that we have significantly fewer assets? So I have less people in my stores than I did in 2019 or 2018. Um, we have less traffic in our stores, um, but the product that we have in our stores is every bit as valuable as it always was, if not more so. And, and in this environment, even, you know, with instances of, um, more often um, and more frequent instances of um, just kind of brazen activity by people, um, you know, what, what it's really opened my eyes to is just the safety aspects of our, of our job, you know, and making sure, that, yes, we need to protect the, um, we need to protect the merchandise in our stores. We need to protect our people and we need to protect our customers. Um, and it's really opened my eyes up to that portion of this role um, more so than I, than I ever would have had otherwise, you know, and, and it just, uh, it, it, it made me think of the business differently 
um, in terms of the, just the, the value of our stores to us. Um, you know, we are an omni-channel retailer, meaning that we have both a, a well-established uh, digital or com business, but we also have a very well-established stores, you know, full-line brick-and-mortar business. Um, and we can't let the importance of one overshadow the importance of the other. Um, and that plays itself out through all different areas, but certainly in the uh, asset protection world. Um, and again, just all of the, the new safety measures that we've had to undertake this year uh, really just underlines just how important um, our people are to, to the process. And none of this gets done without the, the people that we have, uh, you know, both in our central organization, but certainly in our stores organization. So switching gears a little bit in, okay, so clearly you guys have a, really, a pretty good relationship, working relationship um, for you to come on with us and have Peter co-hosting. You never know what he's going to ask you. But, you know, <laughs> looking at, you know, I've heard from some VPs and directors even that, you know, they're like, oh, I report to the CFO. And it's like two separate worlds. I mean, it is very unique that you have loss prevention in your background. Um, so what do you attribute, you know, the successful working relationship, and I'm sure Peter will chime in after you, but between, you know, CFO and AP, because a lot of times AP is coming to get some funds. They've got CTTV. I mean, it's not inexpensive, you know, so um, what, what do you attribute a really good, you know, working relationship? What, what is the best attributes do you think? So I think what I would say is one of the first things that Peter and I were able to establish is a level of candor with each other. You know, I, I always, what I've always said to Peter is you can, it's the two of us. You can tell me anything that you want to tell me and I will listen to anything you say. I may not necessarily agree with it and I may not necessarily do exactly what you want me to do, but you can know I will always listen to you and I will always hear what you're saying. Um, and we, we established that, I think, you know, day one, when we, when we first started, you know, because we worked together a little bit before uh, the asset protection team was, was part of my organization. Um, so we certainly knew each other as well. So I knew, you know, how highly regarded Peter is um, and how well thought of he is at Bloomingdale, certainly, and obviously throughout the industry. Um, so I knew I had someone who was, who was very good and certainly worth listening to. Um, and for me, that's, that's the only way I can, I can read books and read, you know, presentations and all. Um, but the way I learn best is I have conversations with people and I, and I hear directly from them, what are their priorities? What are their concerns? Um, and I think that's what's helped to make the relationship with Peter and I um, work as it's worked so far. You know, we're about a year into it, I think at this, it's almost exactly a year at this point. Um, Happy anniversary. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's that yeah. trust and candor. That's really, that's a good point. Peter, I'll let you get in here and chime in and then, you know, on to your next question. Well, I, I certainly appreciate that. And uh, something that has been unusual here with Scott. You know, I, I listen, outside of how genuine you can see Scott is and, and, and really, you know, uh, how easy he is to speak with and discuss uh, issues and, and concerned with. I think one of the things that, that he really brings to the table in our relationship is uh, you know, how inquisitive he is. And he, was, he had mentioned it before, you know, he's, he's really always leaning into what's, um, you know, kind of the what ifs of, of the situation and really stimulates you to think about 
you know, alternative solutions. You know, you're talking about holistic big picture, you know, certainly that's part of it, you know, but they're really challenging me to think differently, you know, about, about the business itself. You know, I, I there's sometimes you do take a segmented approach and for for uh, having another perspective, you, you know, in this case, Scott's perspective, to sit there and say, look, hang on a second, you know, can you consider this? I think that, you know, that adds tremendous value to the overall process, right? And coming up with a viable solution for the business as a whole. Um, and I, I think that, you know, from a respecting trust perspective, you know, certainly uh, I, I think he believes and he knows that I have the best interest of Bloomingdale's, you know, in the company in mind, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, like he had said, when we discuss things, we don't always necessarily agree, but he is, he has that open to listen, you know, and he, uh, you know, I can say what I need to say with that candor that you mentioned. And, uh, and, and, and being as direct as I am sometimes, maybe not, maybe not so much, but sometimes I am, and, you know, and, and I'm able to, you know, to, to be able to articulate to Scott. And again, I, 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 I think he's a very open to, to listening. And then lastly, you know, I, I think that one of the most important things that from my perspective from a relationship standpoint is I know that Scott has my back, you know, and uh, I, I have full faith that he goes to bat for me for, for the programs. I've, I've seen it throughout just in the one year anniversary that we've had, you know, just the things that we were able to accomplish um, that, you know, I know Scott pushed it along and, you know, I, I had, I got it to a certain point, Scott just completely took it and, and uh, got it to, through the executive committee and, uh, and uh, was able to establish that as something going forward that we would do. So I certainly appreciate that. For sure. I mean, that you guys, it, it is important, you know, you think about the candid part, right? I mean, if you're not getting to the meat of it, pretty quickly, because you guys are pretty busy <laughs> with everything you're tackling, you know, you got to yeah. get there quick. So Peter, I'll, I'll hit, head it over to you to, for your next question. So what would you say, Scott, you know, um, so, you know, when, as you can maybe use me as an example, but certainly for an AP executive, you know, what are some of the, the key topics that, that, uh, that you would suggest a, a, an AP executive and a senior leader in the company what should they be discussing on a regular basis, uh, not only to, to help, you know, obviously perpetuate the business and to protect the, you know, the assets of the business, but just in general, what, what are some of the main things that you think were, would be very critical to, to talk on a regular basis? A great question. Yeah, no, it is a very good question. So I, I think what I would say is, you know, again, thinking about the business. So obviously, you know, between the, the, asset protection person and the finance person, you know, they're clearly going to talk about, you know, maybe, you know, readiness and, you know, the state of the state of the stores, the state of the comm business. Um, we're certainly going to talk about those topics, but I also want to talk about the business with them. Um, and I want to know that they have a genuine kind of curiosity and are tied into what's going on in the business in general and thinking about, you know, always trying to kind of think ahead. You know, one of the things that, that happens to us, and, and this is throughout retail, is we tend to be reactionary versus kind of forward thinking. And, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, you, as you said before, you don't have a lot of time, right? You know, there's, you're kind of getting pulled in so many different directions. And then an event occurs or whatever, and you're spending a lot of time reacting to that and thinking about, okay, well, what happened? What can we do? How do we fix it? Those types of things. But then getting into, all right, well, what are we going to do to make sure that this doesn't happen next time? 
that we're buttoned up and that we're secure so that this particular type of an incident does not happen again. So how do we turn this into more um, forward-thinking conversations versus always kind of thinking about, well, this is what happened yesterday, this is what happened last week, last month, that type of thing, and here's what we've done to stop that. But really about, here's, what it, here's where I think our vulnerabilities are. That's what I want to understand from, from Peter and, and his team is, where are we vulnerable and what are their recommendations for what are we going to do about it, right? Because it's great to report. I mean, you know, and that's a portion of it. But what I really rely on Peter and, and his team on is not necessarily the reporting parts of, the, of, of what they do, but the analysis. You know, what's the perspective that they bring to this? I mean, I can, I can read a report and I'll, most of the time I understand what they're telling me. Sometimes I don't and Peter will fix it. Uh, and, and correct me, but, uh, but most of the time I understand a report. What I, what I really value is the analysis side of things. Here's what we should do about it. Here's what I recommend we do about it. Those are the kinds of conversations that I like to have on a regular basis is just really about the forward aspects uh, and the forward thinking aspects of the business because that's what's really gonna make a difference. You know, just reacting to things really isn't gonna change anything going forward. But when we can get ahead of it um, and things move very, very fast, you know, in, in every industry these days, they're just moving, seem to be moving faster and faster. So it becomes harder and harder and more and more valuable to be able to try to jump ahead and uh, anticipate where the next issue is going to come from versus reacting to the last one. Those are the conversations that I'd like to have. Yeah, that's great feedback. Um, and really speaks to you guys' relationship of trust and candor, because I know Peter can't come to you and say, hey, here's some things we're forecasting that might happen. Here's what we recommend without some level of that you're not going to go, what? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know? yeah. That there's some uh, being receptive there to that. So that that's really interesting. Um, so I know a, a lot of people that listen to this are growing in their career, um, which is so wonderful to have both of you here to, to talk about it. But in your personal background, Scott, you know, you had, you, I, I'm assuming you're, you were starting in the LP space and then transitioning over your career to the CFO. And, and uh, I think there's some folks out there that would says, uh, yes, please. I would love that type of career path. How do you, uh, and what do you attribute to like if for, for some of those young LP folks out there, that um, says, I'm a finance person. I'm in this now, but I you know, would love to go that way. What advice would you give them to, to head that path? Sure, so um, I was exactly that person. I was a person who thought that I was a finance person coming out of college and actually answered an ad for a financial analyst role um, at, at Macy's and uh, you know, and that I obviously I grew up in New Jersey, so I certainly knew of Macy's. Um, and when I got there, you know, I, as I mentioned, it was a loss prevention role. I, that wasn't exactly my definition of a financial analyst, but uh, but but what I took from it was, and like I said, you know, I got to go into stores, I got to look at other areas of the business, so it kind of made me even more more curious as to how do things operate. How does it all work? And the advice that I would give to, to anybody who's just starting out in their career is, you've got to be curious. If you're not curious about, about the, 
the, the company that you're working for or the industry that you're in, you need to find a different company or you need to find a different industry because you're never going to get the sense of fulfillment that I think you're going you're gonna to need um, if you're just not curious about what you're doing, you know, and that's when it just becomes a job versus, no, I think I can make a career out of this. And over time, I was offered an opportunity to um, take on more finance-related roles, more expense-related roles. I worked, uh, I worked uh, for the cosmetics group for, for a time. I worked uh, for stores, for the director of stores at Macy's for a time. I worked uh, in the visual business office. Visual, to me, no offense to anybody who may have a visual background who's listening in, visual is about as far from finance as you can possibly get and still be in the same company. Uh, <laughs> but, but that was great because it showed me a different way of thinking, you know, and just the creativity that takes part within the visual organization at a, at a major department store. Um, you know, think of the windows and Macy's and those types of things. Yeah, it's iconic. Um, I found all of that fascinating. None of that necessarily had to do with finance particularly, but what I've always said to people when, when, when we interview and, and we talk about them is in my role, I don't buy any of the product that you see in the stores or you see online. I don't um, do any of the email marketing or, or any of the search engine work that is done, you know, in, in, you know, as part of that effort, I'm not putting items up on the site, you know, and I'm not working in the stores. But I need to know how all of those different areas operate in order to do my job effectively. If I don't know how things work, then I, I fail in my role of trying to maximize the whole business because I don't know what's going on. So if you don't have that curiosity about why things work, how things work, I don't know how you do your job. And that's at any level you know, from your day one of your career to a couple of decades, a few decades later, yeah. <laughs> you still need to have that. And, and if you've lost that or you, know, or you just don't have that, my suggestion is you may want to try something else that does pique your interest because there's always going to be something out there for everybody. Um, and, yeah. and if you're lucky enough to find it, well, then, you know, it's a nice life. It really is. <laughs> it's really interesting, you know, looking at the different places. So just a quick question. I'll shove it over to Peter for his next question. But curious, in those different departments like visual and, and everything else, what were you doing finance in that department? Yes. Yes. Okay. So um, in visual, for example, uh, I ran the visual business office. So I was doing kind of the, the expense, the, the, the payroll side of things, I gotcha. side of things, you know, kind of helping them with the, the financial aspects of their projects and all. So yeah. I wasn't necessarily buying, um, you know, the mannequins that they were putting on the floor, but I was working with those teams mm -hmm. to make sure that we were doing everything in as efficient a way as possible and staying within budgets and, the, and setting the budgets in the first place. So it was always kind of a finance-related role within those different communities. Um, and then, you know, when I, when I finally was, had the opportunity to come over to Bloomingdale's, that's when I really had the opportunity to learn about the dot-com business. 
And I, you know, coming from Macy's and Macy's had some dot com, um, but it was a separate organization from from where I worked. Yeah. When I came to Bloomingdale's, then I really got the chance to learn about com too. And that is, you know, it's it's a little different than brick and mortar retail. Yeah, that's really interesting and brave. And, you know, because if you're if you're wanting for that role, because as a CFO, it's umbrella is pretty big. So you got to know all the inner workings. All right, Peter, I'll stop. Your turn. <laughs> that's, that's, that's great. I, I learned just a ton of that Scott's background there just, just now. And, uh, and I'm really interested about that visual business office uh, uh, game that you had there because I'm allowed to say, you know what, what do you think of that manager? <laughs> how, how does that window look like as we walk back to the main street? That's great. Um, so, so you mentioned curiosity. You mentioned anxiety. Uh, anxiety. I'm sorry. Anxiety. <laughs> curiosity. That's probably part of it. Oh yeah. These days. <laughs> Maybe that's on my mind right now. Anxiety. Right. Um, you mentioned curiosity. And you mentioned uh, you know um, uh, analytics and having an analytical uh, process when when uh, you're talking to an AP executive. So, what other? I'm just curious. What other? Characteristics, I and mean, we, you know, Amber brought it up about you know somebody that's starting in their position, and to somebody that is you know leading a pyramid in their organization from an APLP perspective. What do you think? What do you see are the most successful characteristics of somebody transitioning from that entry level as they move their career forward? What are things that they should pick up that will help them be a better leader down the road, ultimately running a pyramid? Sure. So I. I think what I would say is, you know, what, one of the hardest things for me um, as I progressed through my career was when I started to take on teams and I started to have people report to me. Because when I first started, I didn't have anybody reporting. You're, you're kind of on your own and you're doing your own thing. And clearly I work for somebody, but I'm on my own to do, you know, kind of left to my own devices to do a lot of things. As I, as I took on more and more responsibility, the, the number of people that were now reporting to me that I was now responsible for and responsible for their careers and their success, um, that, that, that's a very daunting task. And I think that, you know, as a person kind of progresses through their career, understanding that at some point you're going to reach, you're going to reach a level where you can't do it by yourself anymore and you have to rely on your team. So your ability to evaluate talent um, just becomes paramount because without a good team, you're not going to get anything accomplished. And, and you, you have to understand that and you have to be able to recognize um, the value of a great team and you have to be able to build a great team. Um, and, and that's, that's a lot harder, I think, than maybe it just sounds that, no, of course, I'll hire a few people and, and we'll just, you know, we'll just get our jobs done. But that's not, that's not everything to it. You know, you need to make sure that they're engaged. You need to make sure that they have the same interest in the business that you do, you know, and, and the other thing that I look for are kind of qualities that I don't necessarily exhibit so well, you know, and, and I look for that in, in people that work for me because I think it helps kind of round us out. Um, you know, so in anybody, I always look for that curiosity that I mentioned. But I am, um, I am not the most outgoing person. You know, I just, it's just not me. Um, so, but when I look for people, you know, when I'm, when I'm interviewing people and everything, I'm looking for that, you know, kind of 
more of an extrovert than an introvert. I'm, I, uh, I am an introvert. So, um, so I look for people that are more extroverts and everything because I find that my interactions with them, a um, little more animated, but I find that they are uh, certainly um, more valuable. So I think that as you go forward, really the thing, and in any area, is your ability to recognize, evaluate, develop, promote talent um, really is, is just is one of the most important things that you can do. That's really interesting. Um, so I've got one quick follow-up, and then I'll throw it over to Peter for our final question. Um, we haven't really had a guest kind of talking about that as a, as a critical component. And you're right. It's so important, you know, that evaluating talent. Um, what, how do you do that? I mean, how do you get good at it, right? I mean, I'm one of those that if I don't know something that I'm just like on Amazon, like immediately, like <coughs> such and such for dummies or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. To try to figure out how to do something quickly. Um, and, you know, it seems like in the corporate world that, you know, you're promoted, you're given a team, and sometimes that could happen quickly to a manager that may not be ready to, to be able to evaluate that talent. Is there anything that you would say, here's some things that I learned in evaluating talent? And this is probably, we could do a whole podcast on it, but, you know, yeah. one, that, that quick follow-up, and then I'll turn it over to Peter. Yeah, I think what I would say is, um, one, I'm still learning. And I think anybody, any good manager um, is, you know, if you're not constantly trying to learn more um, and educating yourself, um, I think you're doing a disservice both to yourself and to, and to the people that, that work with you. Um, so I would certainly say that. I think that what I've tried to do is learn from others, you know, learn from people that I've worked for over the years. And I've taken away some um, very valuable lessons, both good and bad, from people that I've worked for, you know, saying that, you know, at, at one point in my career, I had a person who quite frankly managed um, through fear and intimidation. And I said right then, if I ever had a team working for me, I would never, ever do that. Never. You just, you can't. Um, our CEO, uh, Tony Springs, uh, has a saying, and I think it's great. He says, say what you mean, but don't say it mean. So, oh, and I think it's, I love I think that. it's fantastic. It's fantastic. It really is because it really gets to the heart of the matter. You need to be candid. You need to get across the message that you want to get across, but you don't have to do it in an intimidating or fearful way or anything. And it's that much more effective when you don't. Um, so I think that it's, it's constantly, you're constantly evolving as a, as, as a leader. Um, and if, and if you think that you've, you've learned all that you have to learn, you're, you're wrong. There's more to go. There, there really is. Yeah. I, I love that saying that should be on a t-shirt. I may get that t-shirt made and well, give, him, give him an attribution to it. <laughs> All right, Peter, look, you're going to close us out here. All right. Uh, so I guess the, the one question that may be on people's minds, I know it's certainly on my mind, uh, it's more prevalent in, in, in our industry more than ever now. You know, as uh, as most retailers, as they, you know, their omni-channel business has exploded and you know, it's, it's definitely more robust than ever before uh, with people uh, you know, with their e-commerce channel and whatnot being, uh, being very, very uh, robust. I, there's certainly more opportunities for, for fraud, really, to rear its ugly head, you know, in a variety of different ways. So what is your perspective on fraud today? How, how does an organization need to think differently to mitigate, you know, uh, this challenge that's potentially increasing day over day 
uh, and impacting our business in a negative way? Yeah, that's a great question. It really is. And, and it's a very difficult question, you know, because it, it, it really has changed, you know, and, and the, the risk involved with fraud, um, to me, extends beyond just the, um, you know, just the financial loss to fraud, you know, and, and in, a, in, a, in a digital environment, the ability to um, experience a loss, a much more um, high value loss in a very, very short amount of time um, absolutely exists in a way that it just doesn't exist and didn't exist in the stores. You know, you just didn't have that ability to get hit um, with, with, at that kind of level. But what I think it does is it, it's beyond the financial risk is the reputational risk. You don't want to get to a point where people no longer feel safe about shopping in your store or shopping on your site. So I think that, you know, when I think about fraud, there's always going to be fraud. There's always, you know, you're never going to get it to zero. And I think to try to get it to zero, I mean, well, I should say this, you can get it to zero. You just won't have a business anymore. You know, it's not, gonna, it's not possible. So you're never going to get it to zero. So it's kind of understanding what is acceptable, an acceptable level of fraud in order to continue to maintain the business. And that, that's constantly evolving what, what that's going to be. Um, but, but, you know, I think about, you know, kind of what keeps you up at night. It's that reputational risk that, you know, um, you know, heaven forbid something happens and, you know, and all of a sudden people don't feel safe shopping with you um, because that become that's very, very difficult to get back because you can then put in measures, um, you know, systemically that will prevent whatever that attack was. You can do that. Um, but now you have to basically build your business all over again and you have to build that trust with your customer all over again. To me, the real danger of fraud is that trust level with your customer and potentially losing that trust with, uh, with them. And that just becomes very, very difficult to ever get back. Yeah, it's a balancing that, uh, that friction with our, you know, good paying customer, as well as those bad actors and trying to mitigate their activities. So yep. It's always a delicate balance there. That's very true. much so, very much so. Yeah, those are great points. And definitely in that expanding, you know, plate of the loss prevention person <laughs> from yes. both the 2020, uh, someone said the other day, it's 2021 is like 2020.2. I don't know. I'm not going yeah. with that yet. It's only March, people. And honestly, I think we're, I'm hopeful. I'm a glass half full kind of girl sometimes. I think we're going to have a great bounce back in 2021. I really do. You know, very encouraged by some of the news of late, um, you know, in terms of uh, the vaccine rollouts and those types of things, and uh, and uh, very hopeful for uh, for 2021. You know, um, I'm not sure what the new normal is going to be just just yet, but uh, I think it's going to be a whole heck of a lot better than 2020. I can't wait to get back up to New York. I'm missing my New York NYC trips. You know, the big show, yeah. and then we got you know, right, Peter? I'm like, I got to get yeah. back up there. I'm missing my brown bag for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I, I think New York is missing you too. You know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you guys, this has been delightful, and I know our audience out there has probably pulled their car over to write some things down. So, Peter and Scott, I sincerely appreciate you taking time for this Talk LP podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
I know. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Sure. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Remember, you can always follow us at Let's Talk LP on Twitter. And don't forget to download the Talk LP News app to easily listen to podcasts like this one. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you soon. Cast, cast, cast. No one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Because no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it.